so the, one of the things that we, or there were three things that I said about at the end last time. One was to begin each day thanking the Lord. Begin each day thanking the Lord. And to periodically ask him to search your heart and show you anything in your heart that needs to be confessed and be rid of. And we talked about that in terms of sin, not just sin, because sometimes the sin things are quite easy to spot, but to any lies that you are believing about yourself, they too need to be confessed. And... Um, and, and to take those, to, to ask the Lord to search your heart and to show you any lies that you have believed and are believing about yourself and to renounce them, i.e. confess that they are a lie, agree with God that that's a lie and that you will now no longer believe that lie. Um, uh, number two was to make a determined effort. I'm going to talk a bit more about the lies later on, but... Um, to make a determined effort to have at least half an hour with the Lord every day. I don't mean bullet prayers. I don't mean walking along the street talking to him as you're going along. I mean a time where you sit down and imagine in some way, picture in some way, think about it in some way, that God is sitting opposite you in the chair and that you are having a conversation with God as if he is there in the room with you because he is. So... You know, that is something we tend not to do. So half an hour every day, if possible in the morning, because that's the beginning of the day. But it, if you can't do it in the morning, that's fine. So, But half an hour every day to, to read his word. See, I've got a new Bible, so it'll take me ages to get anywhere in this Bible today <laughs> because it's all stuck up. The pages are all stuck together. But um, half an hour reading something in his word and then pray, talk to God about what you read. I'm not talking about coming with our prayer requests, although you are to do that, but to spend that half an hour talking to God about what he says to you from the word. That might sound as if it's quite difficult, but it isn't difficult at all. Um, once you start, you'll find it's quite easy. So that was number two. Make a determined effort to have that quiet time with the Lord and to talk to him about what you read in the word. And the third thing was to fight, decide you will fight for joy and fight for peace and fight for the things that he has given you um, using the weapon that he's given you. So what's the weapon that God has given you? The word. The, Ephesians 6, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And make no mistake, we have to fight for joy and fight for peace and fight for those things. They do not come and stay on their own. God involves us in that. Because as we're doing it, we are actually proclaiming to the heavenly realms and to the people around us that we believe joy is possible and peace is possible in a situation and a world that is completely the opposite of that peace and joy. So as you do these things, as you fight for joy, God doesn't need you to fight for joy. He could dump joy on you every morning. You could just wake up singing every morning. He doesn't have to do it. He can do anything. 
but he involves you in the fight because there's the proclamation. I know joy is possible even in my situation and I'm not resting until I get it. That's the thing. So, so, fight, so the, that's the third thing. So begin each day thanking God. Ask him to search your, not necessarily every day, asking him to show you a lie, because I'm sure hopefully at one stage or another you'll get to the end of them, but, um, but periodically do that. And then um, determine to fight for um, the joy. Um, your peace and joy is the biggest witness to the Lord Jesus in this world. It is the biggest witness. Bigger, perhaps, than any of your words. Because your words are not really much good if they're not backed up by a life that is, does know peace and joy. So, we looked in the homework at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, if you did the homework, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 18. So, could somebody read those verses, or maybe two people? Matthew 6, 1 to 18. So, someone read 9 or 10 in there. Thank you. So what's the overall warning that Jesus is giving in these verses? 
Mm. Humility, yeah. Don't do it to be seen. Um, what, what does he? What would we call that? If if you're doing something to be seen and it's not really true, hypocrisy. That's the big warning in here. Don't be hypocrites. And actually, through Matthew five, six, and seven, the Sermon on the Mount, that's a repeated word, hypocrisy. Uh, he calls the scribes and the Pharisees hypocrites because what they're doing, they're doing only to be seen by other people. And Jesus says, um, be careful not to do, look at verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Now, actually, that's a, that causes a bit of a problem because I've just said to you that your joy and peace and your... Um, way of living is a witness in the world. So we have to be careful about what Jesus is saying because we are to practice righteousness in front of people. We are. We are supposed to live righteously, live graciously, live for God. We're supposed to practice what we preach. We're supposed to say, you know, if we say we believe in Jesus and Jesus loves the world, we're supposed to love the world. So in, in a way, we're supposed to be seen so we have to be sure that we understand exactly what it is that he's saying. What he says in verse 1 is, beware of practicing your righteousness before men with the purpose of or for the reason to be noticed by men. So he's, he's talking about that noticed by men in a bad way. Because it is not wrong to want to be known as a spiritual person. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to want people to know, well, she, you, know, you know, she's religious. I, don't, I mean that in the best way. Do you know what I mean? Wow, she goes to church every Sunday. My goodness, you know, she's holier than thou, than, than I. Do you see what I mean? It, but that's not wrong. It's not wrong for you to want to be able to live a life that witnesses for Christ. It's right. And in the scriptures, it's even right to want to be a leader if God calls you to it. Go ahead, Susan. Yeah, it's your motive, of course. It's your motive. First Timothy chapter 3 says, um, if any of you aspire to be uh, an overseer, sorry, let me just get it so I don't misquote it, it is a very noble thing you're aspiring to. And when you read First Timothy chapter 3, do not think, no, uh, sorry, I'm in First Thess Thessalonians because I can't turn the page. They're so thin. First <laughs> uh, Timothy chapter 3. It is a trustworthy statement. I in your translation, it probably says, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, but there is no male or female um, gender uh, pronoun in this chapter. It's all anyone. If anyone or any person aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work they aspire to. So it's not wrong if God calls you to it, to want to be a leader, to want to be um, a leader in some way or a teacher or something. That's not wrong. It's right. But it's, it's the most important thing is, of course, as Suzanne said, to understand your motive for it. What is your motive for doing it? And, and I'll tell you the truth. When I first started teaching, oh my goodness, I wanted people to know what a great teacher she is. That's the truth. I did. I don't think I had one thought about the glory of God when I started teaching. 
I'd only been a Christian about five or six years. I thought there was nothing I didn't know. That's the truth. So I, I know that that is in the heart. And, and, and quite honestly, if I'd waited for a pure motive, I wouldn't have ever done anything. I still think I wouldn't do anything because I'm sure my motives are not totally pure. But the whole thing about this is be honest. Be honest with yourself. It, Verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Be honest with yourself about the reasons that you want to do what you want to do. If you want people to see your righteousness, if you want people to see that you love God and that you live for God, ask yourself why. And then, you know, and then go forward in it. Um... In Jesus' day, apparently, I looked some of these things up, um, they had some games that they would play. So if you were going to give money or alms or charity to the poor, you would pay a tr- they used to pay someone to stand and blow the trumpet while you did it <laughs> so that everybody knew. <laughs> they, would, they would literally have a trumpeteer who would stand. And, you know, and, and so a load of people would come and be a very admiring of your gift to the poor. Probably, because we... (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe. They would have, um, if a man wanted to pray, he would go to a busy street corner and pray, rather than praying quietly. So he'd be right near the edge of the synagogue or right near the temple in Jerusalem, and he'd be praying piously on the street corner loudly so that people would know. And if they were fasting, if they'd taken a vow to go without food, apparently, they used to put dust and dirt on their face so that you'd know they're suffering. So this is what he's talking about, you know. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about doing things to be seen by people and to be praised by people or doing things to be uh, noticed by God. And he uses a phrase in here six times, I think, Um, to tell us what the authentic, real way is. The acid test of your spirituality is done in secret. In secret. He uses that phrase six times. Twice each time he talks about giving or praying or fasting. Your father who is in secret will see what you do in secret. And that's what he's saying. So... um, we looked at um, the Lord's Prayer in the homework too. I don't know if you did it. What If you went through the Lord's Prayer, um, given that he's saying we should be doing that in secret, at least yeah, not, um, he's not talking about corporate prayer. He's talking about prayer to be noticed by God and not by men. What will you talk to God about based on the Lord's Prayer? What we call the Lord's Prayer in um, so verses 9 and 10, what will you talk to God about? If he sits in the chair opposite you and you take this as a framework or a structure of prayer, what will you say to God? What will you talk to God about in verse 9 and 10? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, acknowledging who is. Basically, you're going to talk about him and not about you. That's the thing. So you're going to talk about God. So when he sits down in the chair with you in the morning for that half an hour that you're going to spend focusing on him, you're just going to focus on God and talk about him, about how great he is and how wonderful he is. And try not to talk about how much he's blessed you. (laughs) 
Oh, yes, I know, Juliet. Yeah, you could. But it's the practice of it, isn't it? It's the kind of fitting it into your life, into your into your life, probably because you're, you're laid up at the moment. <laughs> you're doing that naturally, you know, all day. But um, So talk about him. What does talking about God to him in secret do? It glorifies him. It builds you up and... Yeah, it it's puts the relationship on the right footing, on the right foundation, and you sort of, yes, yeah, sort of, maybe. What else? Say that again. Yes, you will start to know, yeah, because you're going to be talking about him. But basically, what we're saying here is, go ahead, Sue. Outside, definitely. It gets you used to extolling the virtues of God with no relation to you. So it, it ta- you're starting to talk about God as he is rather than as he is to you. Do you see what I mean? So it's not wrong to thank him for the blessings. Of course not. Thank you for saving me. But most of the time, when you think about it, most of the time when we praise God, we're praising God for what he has done for us. And that's not wrong, but it's, it's just this is a different way of thinking about it. And also, I said earlier that when we, um, uh, when we show, we, when we fight for joy, when we fight for peace, when we do all of those things, we show that we believe it is possible. And you show it in the heavenly realms as well as in your um, earthly circumstances. When you pray, when you sit with the Lord and you talk to Him about Him, angels listen in. That's the truth. The spiritual realm hear you decide right up front. First thing I'm going to say to God is, You are fantastic. Yeah, I see what you mean. So you're praising him for that, all, all of that going on in heaven. Yeah. So it's this idea that do you believe that what you do on earth has effect in the spiritual realms? Right. So when you pray, you you when you're praying like that to your father, telling him about how how wonderful he is he knows it already but you know when you're actually voicing that angels hear and rejoice and you are witnessing to him yes it's building you up yes it's giving you the right foundation yes it's doing all of those things but at the same time it is a witness in the heavenly places okay (coughs) and it shows you that you know who God is see after a while you'll run out of words you'll run out of what to say I know because I often do. I run out of what to say about God. Yeah, you do, but also it drives me back because I think I better go to the Psalms because they know what to say. You know? So then I end up going to the Psalms and, and, and reading something else or Isaiah, you know, Isaiah 40 or 41, you know, just, just to get the words that God has written that I might know how to pray, praise Him. So that's the first thing. What about verse 11? What do we talk to God about? Prayer, 
our needs, our needs. So what we need every day, what we need. What will that show to God and to you? Yeah, how grateful we are that we are totally dependent upon him. See, yeah, daily. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is about this, you know, I was talking about, you know, we need, we need to raise the funds to move. Um, and coming to God and saying, I, these are the things I need, show that you know that everything you have comes from God. So it has impact in every area of your life. So the fact that you're asking him for what you need today, you know, we always think about that in terms of, well, you know, um, well, perhaps we don't, but when you think about it then, they were asking literally for their daily bread. They were asking for what they needed. But we don't have to do that, you and I. We have our daily bread. People go to work. They, they earn money. They get, or, or whatever it is, you've got a pension, or you've got this, or you've got that. You have your daily bread. So when... That don't, but I'm talking about us now, Sue. So when we come to God and say, okay, this is what I need, when you really boil it down, you don't need anything because you've got it. But now this is an instruction from, from the Lord. You know, pray for this. So there must be something lower than this underneath that daily bread idea for us. And surely it must be that God could take from us at any moment everything that we have. Therefore, nothing that I have, even though it's a pension and it comes through the government or it's this or it's that or it's the other thing, nothing that I have comes to me except through God's provision. Nothing. Even if it's my house I've got or my husband's got a great job or, or my parents left me a legacy or whatever it is, God could take it immediately. And I've actually said, that's okay with me. And if I went round this room, you'd all say that. I've said to the Lord, everything I have is yours, Lord. But, but so do you see what I mean? So when you're praying for your daily bread or your daily needs, what you're saying is, I know that everything I have is yours. And that it could go at any moment. Yes, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. That'll all come with that, Rosemary, won't it? When you really get underneath it and you start to say... You know, everything I have, my whole life has been blessed by, a, by God's provision. Okay, what's the next thing? Verse 12. Yeah. So what do you think this, what's in here? Not just the words of forgive us this, you know, um, forgive give us our debts as we forgive those who have, that are our debtors. Not just those words. What does that mean, actually? Yeah, it, but it's, now you're on a daily basis, aren't you? Now you're coming to him and you're saying, I accept I am a person who sins. I am a person who sins. There you go. And I need your forgiveness. And I come on the basis of your promise that you will forgive me. See, if you never, if you don't, I pray this, Lord, please forgive me. Forgive me for things I don't even know I've done yet. Show me what those things are. It's not so much that you want to, you know, beat yourself over the head or it's not that you're trying to make yourself feel bad. It's that your understanding 
not only that you are a sin, you do sin, I don't want to say you are a sinner because you're a saint now, but you are a person who sins, but also that God's promise of forgiveness is real. So now as soon as you say, forgive me for this or that or whatever or whatever, you have to then receive that forgiveness. That's part of it. Part of it is this promise in, uh, that John writes about, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So included in the prayer for forgiveness is the acknowledgement that God will forgive me. Now there's joy in that. And, and there's cleans- cleansing will come from that. So, and this is not cleansing from just that one thing. This is cleansing from all unrighteousness. Even the things you don't know about, even the things that you forget. If you come to the Lord honestly every day and say, Lord, I know this is wrong and I am sorry, he will forgive you and cleanse you. And you will walk from that second onwards in the total cleansing. It's wonderful. And the last thing, verse 13. What? Mm. Yeah. Every morning. Mm. Mm. What's the next thing? Verse thirteen. Mm. But right. What are you saying to God when you say that? Give me the strength to resist temptation. Yeah. Give me the strength to resist temptation, but. Even go further than that, Barbara. Go further than that. What are you actually acknowledging in that prayer? Exactly. He is the only one that can protect you. You are totally at the mercy of Satan and everything else without the protection of God. And it is God's protection that you're sitting here today. And it is God's protection that you have a Bible. And it is God's protection that he takes you into that Bible and explains things to you and, and, and encourages you to read it and to understand it. It's all God's protection. And how does his protection come to you? Yes, yes, yes. Refuge in him. Yes, no, I'm impressed, Julian. So <laughs> what is the, um, how does he protect you? Mm, he protects you through faith. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, that we are protected by the power of God through faith. So it is your faith, his power that comes to you through the channel of your faith and protects you. So what does that mean, actually, when you're thinking about that? When you're thinking about um, how God protects you and his power at work in you, think about the fact that, you know, Ephesians says that the surpassing great power of God is at work towards you. So he's protecting you through faith. So what are you going to do? If you know that's the way that God protects you, through your faith, you are going to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Jude says, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Go ahead, Jackie. First Peter 1, verse 5. So, do you see how it all links up? 
And so when Jesus gives us this prayer, deliver us from temptation, you know, lead us not into temptation. I mean, I don't know how many hours I've agonized over lead us not into temptation. What does that mean? Does God lead me into temptation? What does that mean? You know, and at the end of the day, there's no clear answer. Get over it. There's no clear answer. God doesn't tempt us to sin. So is this a mistranslation? Does it mean a trial or a test or a trouble? Or, or does it mean that um, what actually is being said here is we need your protection so that we're not led into temptation? Is there the understanding that God is in charge even of Satan in this? Do you see what I mean? Is there a whole host of acknowledgement in here that we, don't, we haven't even plumbed the depths of yet? But whatever it is, whatever it is, is the acknowledgement that without you I am lost. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just mean this verse is difficult, isn't it? Lead us not into temptation. Yes, that he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, into temptation, definitely he did. Yeah, for testing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But James will tell you, you see, that God doesn't tempt anyone. So it's like, okay, but, but anyway, all of that to say, do we acknowledge every day that without God, we are going to be in trouble? <laughs> We're in trouble. And that's what this is all about, you know. We know the Lord's Prayer. I mean, how many times is that recited in, in, in churches? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, and you just whip them off the tongue. Yes, we were, we're lost without him. And this is the acknowledgement of it. And what do you think will happen as you pray your way through these things? Your faith will grow. Will grow. Yeah, why will it grow? Mm. And you're starting to really plumb the depths of what does this actually mean? You know, when I'm talking to God about who he is and then when I'm realizing who I am without him, there's something going on in that. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind in that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. 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 I think the whole thing is all wrapped up in this. Yeah. And this. First, First Thessalonians 5, verse 17. You remember first that verse? It says, pray unceasingly. It's about the easiest verse to memorize in the Bible. Pray unceasingly or pray without ceasing. First um, Thessalonians 5, verse 17. So how can you pray unceasingly? How can you do that? That means never stop praying. What? Yeah, yeah. Definitely, that's part of it. But Yeah, that's part of it. He'll direct your paths. But this real pray unceasingly. How can you do that? You know, when you're having a conversation with, when I'm sitting with Barbara and we're having a cup of coffee. I think it was by Joseph. And he was saying about these things that were going on in Egypt. 
Yeah, I think it's partly that way. But there's another way. There must be something else in there that, that in order for us to pray unceasingly, i.e. never stop praying, while you are conscious, you are praying. So what is that about, actually? And how will this prayer... Because when Jesus was asked, how shall we pray, this is what he said. And he's the one who said, pray unceasingly through Paul. So how, how do we do that? And how does this prayer help us to do that? Really, I, what, um, that's a question. How will it help you? Yes, yes. But do you think when you do this, I think that's right, Kim, when you pray this and you pray it every day and you work, I don't mean these words, but I mean working your way through the understanding that first it's about God and then it's about his provision and, and how I'm lost without him. And then it's about his protection um, or whatever, forgiveness, and then it's about his protection. Can you see that if you did that every day, it would become so ingrained in you that you wouldn't really have a moment when you weren't thinking about the fact that God is doing this, that he's, he, he is who he is, that, that I don't need to worry. I just said this thing to that person. That was really mean. And you've come away and you feel really guilty because you shouldn't have said it and you were just a bit impatient and why did you do it? And you've got no chance to go back to them because, you know, you shouldn't have done it. And so, or, or bigger things, you know, whatever. But don't you think it might remind you all the time, yes, but I can confess this. I can come before you, Lord, and I can be cleansed of this. Forgive, exactly. I can be forgiven of this. I have to recognize this is a sin. It was a sin. I agree with you. This was wrong and I shouldn't have done it. And I'm coming and asking for your forgiveness on the basis of your promise to forgive and to cleanse. It is. It is. And you see how much easier it is to do if you've started like this. That's the thing. It's so much easier. Yeah. Mm. A lot of time I can't control what's in my no. mind. No. And I get these thoughts. Yeah. I don't want that. Yeah. I don't even know where some of where, where it comes from. Mm. And I I pray to the spirit, please take control of my mind because mm. I know I need mm. to I think you know, that come in a lot. But it's not so much that you have the thought because your brain is like a computer and people are feeding information into it all the time. It, the enemy is or something is. And you're having this thought. But it's what you do with it that, that shows who you are. So you have the thought in. And if you let it turn over in your mind, then... But what you're doing is, Lord, I don't want this thought. It's not true. I don't want it, which is perfect. It's perfect. Mm. Yeah, go ahead, Suzanne. Helpful, yeah. It's Thank you. Helpful. Yeah. And I, I think as long as we're on earth, we all have these thoughts. Definitely. 
definitely. And I think too, Susan, I agree with that. I think it's, that's very helpful. But I also think that that's why God says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's the Rema Word of God. That is the the particular specific word of God it's not the whole word of God it's the specific one so I think it's really important to memorize scripture because when you memorize scripture it fits your particular situation or that thought so for example when I hear voices that tell me that whatever I've said or done or taught or whatever was no good and I should have done something else what my uh, answer is but the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So as long as I speak the word of God, it matters nothing how I say it and, and how articulate it is and how good it is and how wonderful it looks. And, it, and so what I'm saying is with these memory cards that we're always punching out and, you know, and, and we will change our logo soon and get new ones. But the reason to, to memorise 1 Corinthians 10.13, which is no temptation has seized you except which is common to man and God is faithful and when you are tempted, he will always provide a way of escape that you might endure it. The reason for that is because you might be tempted in a particular way over and over and over again. And this verse is the answer to that. It's God's Rima word. No temptation has ever seized you that someone else has not felt. And God is always faithful. And he will provide the way of escape. Not so that you don't have that temptation, but so that you can endure it. That understanding of that last sentence made such a difference to me that he doesn't let open the door so I can escape the temptation. He enables me to stand up under it, to endure it. Now, why, why this verse? Because we're all tempted. Why your verse, Nahum 1.7? Because we all need to run to the Lord and take refuge. Yeah, because, and that, that's the Rema word of God. That is the word that he gives us specifically for the thing. So memorize scripture, memorize scripture, you know, because it's helpful. Go ahead, Rosie. And I think, honestly, I've got here, I'm going to, uh, we'll stop for a minute and have coffee, but um, I talked last week, last time about Hudson Taylor and about him having to refocus his attention on who Christ is. And uh, we had that long talk about fear and being afraid and, and uh, you know, fear comes at us in all sorts of ways. It doesn't always, it's not always wrapped up like fear. It's sometimes wrapped up like truth. It's sometimes wrapped up with, you know, um, a lie that we've heard but at the base of it is fear and once we know Christ 
once we know him more and more and more and more, we are less susceptible to the lies and the fear and the everything else that's coming in. And what Hudson Taylor struggled with was his struggle to actually have a faith that would see him through. He could not work out how he would be able to get to the end of his life and actually be assured because all of his time was spent looking at him. And that's my struggle. If I have any struggle, it's, it's, well, it's one of my many struggles, is the fact that if this depends on me, I'm done for. Because I cannot do the life. I cannot live the life that I'm supposed to live. But so what I would say is anything that's wrapped itself up like that, that, well, you should really be better than that by now. I mean, how long have you been a Christian? Yeah. But what, so what I'm saying is the word is that it's Christ's faith. It's his faithfulness that will see me through. Yeah, but it's, it is, it's that. It's, it's nothing to do with me. It's to do with him. And so Hudson Taylor said that he came through and to the end so that he could totally relax into the life that he would live for God because he was unafraid of anything else and he knew how to deal with anything else and that was by pointing to Jesus. He says so, therefore it is true. And the way that I think Jesus is telling us is to put the building blocks in place in secret. When you do anything, come to the Lord in secret and that your Father who is in secret will reward you. Do you see what I mean? So you have to put these things into place in your life. I have to. We all have to put these. These are the building blocks, the basis of a faith that will take us on and take us through. Exactly. Yeah, thank you, Maureen. Did everybody hear that? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. That's Hebrews. Um, Father, thank you that um, yeah, thank you that you didn't take a break, Lord. You were there, right there with us in all our conversations and uh, yeah, everything. Thank you that you're always with us, Lord, and that well, there's such assurance in that, Father, that you never leave and that you are always here. And that sometimes, though, uh, I suppose when I think about that too much, I think, wow, that means that you saw this and you did this and you. But it al I also remember that great verse, Lord, that when I come to you and agree with you, confess my sin, you are faithful and just. And you do forgive me of my sin and purify me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I just, I think that's so wonderful, Lord. And I pray for everyone in this room that we would hold on to that truth as we go now into the, this Christmas season, this season where the whole world will not be celebrating Jesus, but be celebrating themselves, really. And Lord, that you would remind us that we don't, ha we are not part of that, actually, and that we are held by you, um, and that we belong to the family of God. I pray that you would keep on bringing that to our remembrance, Lord, and help us to live through this time uh, for your glory, actually, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, okay, so the building blocks of faith. Um, 
uh, I think, are as we decide to do what God has told us to do, ask, you know, like for example, the Lord's Prayer, pray then, Jesus said, pray then in this way. Um, so when we pray, we remember those things about God, who he is, who we are, how we need his protection, and uh, how he's promised us forgiveness. And um, it's that, those building blocks, simple as they are, that start to build up in us the reality of the peace that Jesus said he would leave with us. In uh, John 14, uh, 13 through 17, he talks about the truth of all that he is and all that he's promised to those who put their trust in him. Um, John 14, verse 27, Peace I give to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, he says. John 14, let's go to John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Yeah, it is. It is wonderful. John 14. Um, uh, sorry, <laughs> as I say, I can't get these pages open. John 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My peace I give to you, freely given, freely given. You know, it is ours for the taking. That's what he's saying. This is yours. It's yours. I'm giving you my peace. Um, and it's the, one of the most wonderful things, and I think that's why I spent the days of Christmas in the, those videos in these chapters because um, what he's saying is that what, that what John writes down for us is that the hours before his arrest, this is just a few hours before he'll be arrested and beaten and kept and uh, have the crown of thorns and then the next day be crucified. In those hours when he could have said anything his whole focus was that those people who followed him knew peace and joy and love and they knew where to get it. That, I mean, it's amazing, actually. We, of course, the, the, the amazingness of the crucifixion and the resurrection, the fact that we are brought into redemption and salvation through that, but that he would spend his last moments because he wanted Barbara to have peace. It's really struck me that saying that just now. That all I have to do is ask for his peace. Exactly. And it hadn't really hit me before that it's just there for the taking. It's there. It's there for the taking. And that's what he's saying. My peace I give to you. All you need to do is ask in faith and receive the peace that passes all understanding. And the reason that you will receive it is because you have received him and he is peace. 
Look at this, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Look at verse 28. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Or John 15, verse 11. These things I have said to you, that my joy might be in you, and your joy made full. Why am I spending these hours telling you things about me and about what I'm freely giving you? Because I want you to know joy. Not your own joy, but my joy. Christ's joy that will be in you. And then look at verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you might believe. You might have faith. Uh, 14.29 I mean it's, it's beyond amazing that this is what he's aiming at before he suffers <laughs> he's aiming at your peace and your joy and your faith he's aiming at you knowing that all of those things are yours they're yours yeah yeah and because, it, that's what he says, saying, I'm not giving you the sort of peace the world gives. I'm not even giving you the way to have your own joy. I'm giving you my peace and my joy because that is the only thing that will enable you to stand. And that is what you need to know beyond anything else. I can't even get it in my head that he would be doing that. He could have said anything. He could have said, now, this is what I want you to do when I'm gone. I want you to do this, 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 and this, and I want to make sure you do it right because cause people's lives depend on it and, and make sure you learn this, this by rote and that by rote and make sure you memorize all these words from the scriptures and make sure you do this and make sure you do that and, and then get yourself together in fellowship and, and make sure you love one another all the time and that you, you know, you're washing each other's feet all the time and doing that. He doesn't do that. He says, this is what I want you to know. I want you to know peace and I want you to know joy. And I want you to have the, the kind of faith that will hold you up. It's amazing how it's, for me, the Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing is, if we take that one step further, see, he could have said anything, but he said this. He could have done anything, but he washed their feet. He could have, he, 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 I could cry when I think about all the things he could have done to leave us with what you need to do now, what you need to do now. But you see, what we always fail to understand is that we could do a million things, but if we don't have the peace that passes all understanding, if we don't have his joy, and if our faith is not built up, we can't do anything effectively 
for Christ. So it's not that this, it's not that we're intentionally concentrating on ourselves. It's that God concentrated on these things because he knew that from your having peace and from your joy and from your faith that you need not worry about anything, that you're headed for glory, that that's where you'll be. Out of that will flow every other thing. Out of that will flow your desire to go out and let other people know about this peace and this joy. And out of that will be this love that you will find growing in you because you have left everything else about you to God. Do you see what I mean? And you have understood and received his peace. Go ahead, Maureen. What were you going to say? Oh, definitely. Definitely. This, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, you know, this is the practical outworking. You see, this, you know, God's, he, he, it wasn't that Jesus didn't know what he was doing. He just loved them so much. He wanted to tell them good stuff about them. It wasn't that he, that's how he thought. Because when he comes back after the resurrection, he's going to say, go into all the world and make disciples. So he wants them to know that, that that's what he's leaving them to do. But it's that he knows that the natural outworking of the peace that he gives and of the joy and of the faith will be this grace, this gospel of the grace of God. It will be the natural outpouring of your life because you will have peace and you will have joy and you will have faith. You won't need to be told, go and make a few disciples. Oh no, but I don't want to. If you knew my life and if you knew how difficult it was and if you knew how I'm bogged down every day and if you knew this and if you knew that and if you knew the other thing, because he will know. You know him. You know him, the God who is peace. (coughs) Exactly. And to know the peace that passes all understanding and to have joy in your brokenness. That's the thing. That's the witness. That's the witness beyond words. You know, and and we talk about friendship evangelism, which I think is just a complete nonsense, actually, but the way it's portrayed. You don't need to tell people about Jesus. You just need to be loving to them. Um, If you don't tell people about Jesus, you could be a loving Muslim or a loving Buddhist or a loving atheist. There are plenty of loving atheists. My husband is a very loving person, and he does not believe in Jesus, and he will love you all the way to hell. Do you know what I mean? That's, what I'm, that's the reality. So um, what I'm saying is that Jesus knows that this, this understanding of peace, this understanding of joy, this understanding will just flow out of you and you will then not be ashamed of the gospel. You won't be. Why not? Because you know it has absolutely revolutionized your life. You are totally and utterly changed because you know the peace that passes all understanding. You know the joy that comes to you through his spirit. That's what he's going to say, that I will send to you another helper. My father will send to you another helper. He is the spirit of of truth whom the world cannot know because it does not know him. So it's, it's this idea. Now think of what, take this. That's the outcome of his suffering, actually. That's what he's saying, that the outcome of his suffering is your peace and your joy and your faith in your love. 
that is the outcome, the, the, the result of his suffering. Now, think about this. Think about what's happening in our world. I, I want to read what I've written because I don't want to forget anything. Think of the wars and the inhumanity of man to man. Think of the slavery and the abuse and the degradation of women down through the centuries. Think of abortion and murder and genocide. Think of the prejudice and the Holocaust. Think of poverty and addiction and the crisis that we have in the world the injustice that's going on. Think of the refugees and the persecution and the breakdown of our society, the smashing of the family and the marriage and the morals and ethical behaviour. Where do all those things come from? They come from hearts or Satan, but through hearts that know nothing of the peace and the joy and the love of God. That's the thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yes. How important it is. How important it is. Yeah. Now, read John 14, 27 to 31. Someone read those verses. John 14, 27 to 31. Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I, I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. And he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's go from here. Thank you. Okay, so now think again about all those things I just read. Think about the world today. Think about the fact that Jesus, the Saviour of that same world, the, the saviour of all the world that is abusing and uh, prejudice and there's injustice and there's uh, perversion and there's the smashing of society and the breaking down of all ethics and morals. Think about the fact that that same saviour, that, that, that the saviour of the world came for them and that these are the last words he said on earth. That's incredible. It's just, it's, it's beyond. And what he wants us to know is that um, we are to let his peace and his joy and his love and his faith find its home in us. You have to, as a, I don't know, I don't want to say a rule. Or, it is imperative that you know the peace of Christ. It is beyond important that you live in his joy. Exactly. It is beyond anything that you are imagining. Because if you go out into the world and say the most important thing for me is to know Jesus and to know his peace and his joy and, his, and the faith that comes through him, people, church people will look at you and say, that is so selfish. 
you should be out there on the streets with the homeless and you should be out there doing this and you should be out there doing that. And Exactly. That's what he's saying to us. That's exactly what he's saying. So when you're thinking, yeah, but all they do, or when you hear people say, yeah, but all they do is read the word and study the word and, you know, and, and they're not doing anything else. What is your answer? Your answer is only by knowing the word do I know Christ. Only by learning more about him and putting myself into the living word that is going to transform me into his image am I going to effectively witness for him in this world. Honestly, is desiring truth important? Desiring, I'm not talking about the ministry, I'm talking about desiring truth. Is that important? Yes. How do you know? Because God says in Psalm 51 through David, he says, David says, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden parts. You will make me to know wisdom. What is wisdom? It is the correct use of knowledge. You cannot use uh, knowledge properly unless you have the wisdom of God. And that comes through his word as he puts it into your, into your life. And, but keep listening because it doesn't end here. I said these are the last words and they are. But look at what he says. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. What does he mean, nothing in me? What does that mean? He's got no hold on me. He's got nothing that he can accuse me of. Nothing. He's got no hook in me. He's got no manacle on me. He's got no way that he can tie me back or hold me back. The ruler of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. And that's where I want to where I got to with the lies that we believe. You are positionally in this God in the one who can say categorically that Satan has nothing in me. That's where you are. That's where you live. You believe in the Lord Jesus, you are positionally in Christ and Satan has nothing in you. Nothing with which he can accuse you. Nothing. So whatever he is coming at you with is a lie. If you, of course, you're going to sin, of course, but you have the way to be cleansed from that sin. And as soon as you're cleansed, that sin is gone. He has nothing in you. So what lies are you believing? What lies are you believing? And do you honestly think that every time you sin, when you, when you sin, because I said we have to forgive, uh, come to God and confess our sins, when you sin, you give Satan a place. Of course, of course, that's what I'm saying. Every time you sin, you give Satan a hook. But when you confess it, what does God do? He removes the hook. It's important to confess it because otherwise the hook remains and it is a way that Satan will start to pull at you. Oh, no, only no known sins. Yeah, the rest of it you trust to God. That's what David said, acquit me of hidden faults. The things I don't know about, you know, I'm trusting to you, God. And when he brings them to your mind, you can confess them and then... But, but what we're dealing with is what you know about what you know about. So how would it be important to be able to 
discern the lie? How will you be able to discern the lie that is coming at you from all sorts of di uh, areas in your mind and it's wrapped up in all sorts of wonderful paper? Yeah, how will you know it's not of God? Because I'm not talking about lies that are saying, I want you to go and commit adultery. I mean, that's just, I'm not talking about those lies. I'm talking about the lies that say, um, well, you know, I mean, you're not really intelligent enough to understand this. I mean, the depth of it, really. I mean, look, this is God's word, so it's really super spiritual. And really, are you really intelligent enough to be able to understand it? I know, but what I'm saying is it's a lie that people believe, Juliet. We believe it. We believe that. What, or I'm, I'm not worth anything. I haven't got any gifts. I know everybody's supposed to have a gift, but I really don't have one. You know, I know that the Holy Spirit comes, but I don't have one. No, hold on, because it's not about that. It's about spiritual gifts. So, so what's your spiritual gift? So... The, what you'll say, what hopefully you would say is, I haven't discovered it yet, or I haven't seen it yet. But there's many, many, many Christians say, I haven't got one. That's a lie. It's a lie. Or from your childhood, I told you, my dad, you know, my dad was great. He was a great father, but he used to call me clumsy. I was clumsy. <laughs> if there is such a thing as clumsy, I was clumsy. I used to walk into lampposts because I was thinking about different things and drop cups and... If there's any crockery to be broken, I can break it. So it's just, you know, and he used to call me clumsy. And I grew up with that, that word in my mind. Yeah. I'm clumsy. Well, actually, that's not true. I'm not. I'm not. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I sometimes drop things. Do you see what I mean? I know that's a stupid thing. But what did you grow up with? That, you know, you're just, you're just not good looking enough. You're not lovable enough. You're not kind enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. You're not what you should be. You're just not enough. I just wanted to say there's, a, there's another uh, enough that comes. And it's not a, a negative one. There is a lie that Satan says, you're good enough. Uh, I know the Lord's saying it in his word, but I have sons who think, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm talking about people who actually are in the word. Who are in the word. Who are still hearing voices. You're still hearing people. Like, things like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of something that's not obvious, but is also a lie. Um, um, well, I can't think of one now, but you'll think of them as we go along. Um, that you could never be useful in the kingdom of God. That actually, I, yeah, I know, yeah, you can't. I can't share my testimony. My testimony is not interesting. I mean, some people just really—they just have fantastic testimonies because they've given up drug addiction or this or that. It's been fantastic. But all I did was go to Sunday school from when I was eight. That's not me, by the way. But you know. Because I do have a fantastic testimony. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. See what I mean, though? Or, um, or I, I'm just not going to know what to say. I mean, I really want to evangelise like Rosie but, or Maureen. I want to go out on the street and be able to talk to people about Jesus, but I don't have the courage. That's a lie. Exactly. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. I don't have the courage. That's a lie. Yeah. You do. Because if you ask God, he will do it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. 
Exactly. Thank you. So that's a lie under a lie. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about all the things that we hold on to, that we don't know are lies, but they are lies. And we live by those lies. And what Jesus is saying here is, Satan, the ruler of the world is coming back. He has nothing in me. And if I am in him and he is in me, Satan has nothing in me. Yes and no, but it's also people who are. They don't even realise it's a lie. Oh, you know, poor Kim, she suffers with this. She's always suffered with this. She's always been a little bit sensitive. See what I mean? It's just those things that drip in and they stay there and they, they are a lie that is allowed to fester. We have to exact, well, what we have to realise is that we're a new creation in Christ Jesus and that he is stronger than that. Yes. He is stronger than that. So... What I want to get is, what I would like us to do going forward is to listen to one another. Listen to one another in the everyday conversation. Listen to each other and ask the Lord to help you to hear the lies. And when He does, ask Him for the wisdom and the grace to share the lie that you want, because, because we want to help each other to be. Free of all the stuff that Satan is holding us with. What does he say in um, John 14? Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus wants us to know the kind of peace that the world can never know. And the only way to know peace, true and lasting peace, is to, is to get rid of the lies that you're listening to. Because the lies will steal the peace out of you. They will, they will just take it out. So, and it's not even a matter of, well, you, yeah, I mean, some of the things that I hear, I just think, yeah, okay, Anne, but you've got to be honest. I mean, let's be honest. You are like this. That's a lie. It's a lie. There are lies upon lies upon lies upon lies that we we hear, we have held on to, and they are just not true. And they are stealing your peace and stealing your joy and making you less effective for the work that you want to do, actually. If I were to sit with anyone in this room and really have a heart-to-heart, you would tell me you so want to be on fire for the Lord and you want to get out and make a difference in this world and you want to just speak about him and how wonderful he is. You want to be used by the Lord for his glory. Everyone would say that. Yes, (laughs) we do. We do. So... um, yeah. Matthew um, 28, 19 and 20, which is what I've already alluded to, the reason that Jesus, I think, told them as they left about peace and joy and all of that is that he would later, after his resurrection, come back and tell them. In Matthew 28, verse, 28, verse um, uh, yeah, yeah. 19 and 20. Go, well, actually 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Who is with you? Jesus. And who is he? He is the Savior. He is the one with all authority. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. I don't mean, I don't think he means go to Africa, go here. I think he means as you go, make disciples. Make disciples. One of the disciples he spoke to was Peter. And just um, to finish with, I want to look at something he said, which we'll carry on next time uh, into uh, when we meet after Christmas. Second Peter chapter um, 1. Because Peter, will, Peter was there when Jesus said all of this. He was there um, right up to the end. He was there at the crucifixion. He heard everything that Jesus said. And he took that, and then God later, through Peter, would write down two letters for us. Listen to what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. I mean, you could say so much about these verses. We haven't got a lot of time, but what I will say is that the first thing that Peter does here is he puts us all on the same foundation. Every single one of us has received a faith that's of the same kind as his. What does he say? To those who have received a faith of the same kind, the same value as ours. How did you receive the faith? According to Peter? By the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, you received your faith by the righteousness of God and Jesus. So your faith and my faith, they are identical. Your faith and Peter's faith, they are identical. You have received this faith and it came to you by the righteousness of Christ Jesus and God. And it, it almost to emphasise it, here's Peter. If you were writing a letter to someone and you were you wanted to let them know that you were Peter, the apostle, don't you think he would have put that first? Wouldn't you? Oh, this is Peter writing, Simon Peter, the apostle. But what does he put first in his sentence? Bond servant. 
Simon Peter, a bond servant, a willing slave of Jesus Christ, and uh, sorry, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the same kind of faith. And what does he want to? So no boasting, no lording it over anybody. To those people who have received the, received the same kind of faith as me or as us, he says. What does he want to uh, tell them? What's the very next thing he says? Grace and peace be multiplied to you through or in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, you could think that's just his benediction, his opening line, right? Oh, grace to you. Grace, that's what they do in the churches, don't they? Let's say the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blah, blah, blah. That's not what Peter means because you go to the end of his letter and he finishes in exactly the same way. Chapter 3, verse um, 18 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. He wants a growth in the knowledge of Jesus because he knows that that will be resulting in a knowledge of a, a, a growth in grace and in peace. So it's not, an after, it's not a benediction. This is something his whole letter is about. How will you grow in grace and peace through the knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's what he's saying. And he pictures it as something that comes to us from God. You've received this. And it will come to you from, from God. They're not ours by nature or by right. You don't have any right to peace or any right to grace. This is a gift from God to you, but he has given it because it has come to you by the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. And Peter's great longing is that we would multiply in this grace and peace. And that's how yes. That's God's is. longing for us is that we would grow in this grace and peace and that it would multiply. And the only way that it will grow and multiply is, according to Peter, in or through the knowledge of God. And so rephrase that. Rephrase it. Knowing God will mean what? Yeah. Rephrase it in another way. Knowing God, using his words, knowing God will mean what? That grace and peace will be multiplied in and through you. If grace and peace is multiplied in and through you, what will happen? Christ will be glorified and people will receive the knowledge of that grace and peace. You want to share the gospel? Grow in grace and peace. Grow in the knowledge of Christ. You want to be effective witnesses? Fill your mind with the truth about God. One makes two, two makes four, four makes eight. And that just multiplies. Exactly, multiplies, <laughs> exactly. If you want to enjoy God's peace, no matter the circumstances, what's got to happen? You have to grow in your knowledge of God. If you want to be the aroma of Christ in the world, what's got to happen? Yeah? You'd be like that, those wicks in those liquid candles. Yeah, yeah. But what will, less poetic, what's got to happen? 
You've got to grow in your knowledge of Christ. In every area, in every, you, want, you want to have a joy that is, you know, boundless. In, in no matter what, what's got to happen? You've got to grow in your knowledge of Christ. There is no other way to multiply grace, peace, joy. No other way than to grow in your knowledge of Christ. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Now. Now. So yes, you're going to grow, and yes, God will use that to multiply, and, and um, but God is still God. So all you're doing is growing in your understanding of who he is, but he lives within you. So if there's a person out there who needs saving, and Juliet's the person in front of them, you will be the vessel whom he uses. So yeah. So But our um, responsibility is to grow. And actually, it isn't a responsibility, is it? Realistically, ask yourself the question, do you not want to grow in peace or grace or joy? Yeah. Exactly. No, he he does. Yeah. Exactly. No. Yeah. But there again, see, and then we come right back to it, Suzanne. The the more you think about how you can't do it, the more your focus is on you. And so the whole idea is to grow in your focus on Christ, on your knowledge of him and your knowledge of God. That's why he says, this is eternal life. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. Not that you go and do a wonder, wonderful things. Not that It's that you might know God, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That is eternal life. Because that's the life that gives you peace and joy and love and grace and all of those things. And the thing is, grace is not static. It's not a a thing that's wrapped up and given to you. It's a powerful thing. God's grace is powerful. And it will grow in you. His grace will grow because God is a living God. And his grace has that power because it's his grace. So it will powerfully work through you and in you. That's the wonder of it. At least. Yeah, I think it doesn't matter. I, I read through the Bible every year in a year and the the plan I use takes me to Old Testament and New Testament. And so I don't, I mean, I just want to do that every year. So I just read. So sometimes it's kind of hard to find a place in Numbers or Leviticus that I can talk to God about. But there's always a Psalm or a proverb or New Testament. So I would say find a reading plan that will take you through the Bible in a certain amount of time, be it a year or two years, and just read through that. And be that, let that be the way God speaks to you. Because God can speak <laughs> through any word. Yeah. 
and he does to me. Um, and what I try to do is find something to go back to God about in what I read. Um, so, you are not studying scripture for its own sake. Why are you studying scripture? Why are you studying the word? Why are you looking at the Bible? Why? To know God, yeah. Yeah. And? Yes, and? And? Because as you know God more, what will happen? You will, yes, and you will be a wider channel of his grace to other people. If you want to be more effective in the kingdom of God, you must know God. Hosea says, we, let us press on, press on to know the Lord. Let us press on to know the Lord. Paul says, not that I've already attained it, but I press on. Yes. Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So go right back to the beginning. Determine every day you are going to spend half an hour with the Lord. You know, and I mean, actually, when you think about it, you've got 24 hours in every day, half an hour's not much. But that half an hour, and be understand that Satan will come at you, come at you from all different directions. Of course, about why you haven't got that half an hour. You've got to do this or do that or do the other thing. Exactly. There's so many other pressing things. Yes. And <laughs> what I would say is don't answer your phone. Don't open your iPad. That is my struggle every morning. Don't open your iPad. Oh, I've now got a MacBook not an iPad, but don't open that, don't look at your phone, even to check the time, have a clock by the bed, don't look at those things until after the half an hour is gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're all so super spiritual. We don't have that, Suzanne. Never. We don't have that. So, so to finish with, we're going to read our Bible for half an hour every day because we know that through that, God will speak to us and we're going to speak back to him. And if you want to, use Matthew 6, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 as your structure. Talk to God about who he is. Just acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge that he is great and omniscient and omnipotent and unchanging God and that he threw stars into space and knows them all by name and that his spoken word created everything you can see and all that you can't see. And just keep on reminding yourself who God is. And then go into all the other, the four titles. And maybe you'll make four others, I don't know. But just go and, and find some way of talking to God through what you read and then ask him to really um, search your heart and show you sin I hope you're doing away with as we go through anyway but ask him to show you the lies that you have believed and be prepared for the answer yeah 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 oh yeah yeah and then um, I can't remember what but you should have 
hopefully remembered it. And if you didn't, shame on you. <laughs> Ask the Lord to remind you. I know. Yeah, yeah. Have a great Christmas and um, and may the Lord bless you and me and he will. Father, thank you that we are coming up to that season where we celebrate your, the birth of your son, the giving of your son to this world, to this broken, sinful, wicked world that those who put their trust in him might come into this wonderful, new, life-abundant Lord. Thank you so much that you have called us by name and that we are now and forever your children. Thank you for this peace and the joy and the knowledge of it, Lord. Thank you that you You've written this down for us, that we might know it is available to us, that you want us to grow in this knowledge of your grace and your peace and your joy and that we can literally be assured that we belong to you and that assurance take us out. So Father, I pray for everyone here that our Christmas will be full of the knowledge of Jesus and that we will um, rest in in that knowledge as we go through all the times we must do with family, friends, those who are saved, those who aren't, Lord God, that we would be uh, able to know, know that we know that we know that we know who we are in Christ Jesus and that he might be the sweet fragrance through us to those around us. So Lord, so many prayers, so many words to say. Lord, you know our hearts, you know who we are, you know where we are. I pray, Father, that you would uh, continue on with us, growing us up, that we might be the channel of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.